Give me the green light. Give me just one night. I'm ready to go right now. I'm ready to go right now. I'm ready to go. Welcome, everybody, to episode 76 of the Greenlight Podcast. POC, Efraj, back at it, Monday, April 12th, uh, about a week late for our Final Four recap. Because we're, we're in shock. I mean, we, we deserve a week because we never, I don't, I mean, all year long, we've said Gonzaga, Gonzaga until Gonzaga loses and Gonzaga lost. And I think it, it, it's fair to take six days to, uh, to recoup and understand what in the world just happened Monday night. I feel like a gambler who keeps going back. I feel like a girlfriend who keeps trusting is her high school boyfriend keeps going back. I continue to go back to Gonzaga. And I think, I think I, I said this when they lost to Carolina, I was like, I'm never going to bet on them again, but they were so far and away the best team this year until 10 days ago. I mean, they got absolutely demolished from the jump, literally. Credit all goes to Baylor. I mean, that was – I mean, the You could tell, like, it was like, – not only was it going to be ugly, but you could tell that, like, uh-oh, like, this could get, like, out of hand. This could just be an awful matchup nightmare that we really just – we were we were taking for granted – we weren't taking for granted Baylor, but I think that we – so how good Gonzaga was and didn't really think about, okay, well, if Baylor is just going to be way more athletic, it's not going to allow them to drive and kick. If they're going to just like stop everything they've been doing, then the level of talent, how good they are at each position completely. I mean, it just fades away. If you can't get to what you want to do, which is they, which is what they took away as crazy and weird and convoluted as that sounded. It, it just, no, no, no. Yeah. I mean, there's, I think there's a lot of things to it. I would say the biggest shock though was Baylor shooting. You know, I mean, they don't shoot the ball like that. They just don't. I mean, they were – I have to look up the numbers for what they were from the first half. But I remember texting. I remember tweeting that whole game and saying, like, all right, they got to come back to the mean a little bit. Like, they got to miss some threes in the second half. I know. Uh, I they, honestly – at halftime, I said to be only down – what were they were, 12 or 14? 10. I was like, they were only down 10. 10. To only be down that at that point after as, as much as the barrage that Baylor gave. I was like, credit to credit to Gonzaga for keeping it. I was like, they'll get hot. And then it was just, it was a lot of turnovers. It was a lot of offensive rebounds given up. It was, I mean, it was all over the place. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I think we, we definitely, the, the, we've said all year though, like a three headed monster of Butler and Mitchell and Teague um, are special. I mean, it's probably the best group of guards, absolute best group of guards you could put together and then they just kind of rotate those bigs in there whether it was meyer whether it was flagler vital um i don't even know how to pronounce tacho tacho uh oh i i mean here i i shouldn't have even attempted that everyday john like they threw in even flo thamba i think it was in like foul trouble they just threw bodies out there but they're all athletic and they were all able to get in driving lanes they will stop them they're able to close out they're able to get offensive rebounds and just play a different game than Gonzaga was used to. The the rebounds were huge. Really was. I mean, honestly, it's kind of, it's kind of weird. Not that I I say this because West Virginia is probably the worst offensive team that hugs has had, but they were good. So good offensively, the team that gave Gonzaga probably the best game outside of BYU was West Virginia. And they play, they're an athletic team that likes to kind of like disrupt teams. So we, I shouldn't have been completely surprised because if, if there was any team that gave Gonzaga a little bit of a pause, granted, this was probably let's see when I mean, when they played um, when when they played West Virginia. I think it was like first week, yeah, December second. West Virginia was the only team to keep it within single digits. There's similarities there with like Baylor and West Virginia. I I just don't think that we ever expected it to be um, Gonzaga to just be completely stifled like they were. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to. I I know I opened with like. I mean, Baylor's a good shooting team. I kind of like – they are, but they were 
like eight of eight to start. I mean, they, nobody shoots like that. Like I, and then against like Villanova, I mean, I know they had an off night, but they went three for 19 from three. So it's like you thought at some point and credit, Hey, listen, I thought two things on Mark few. I thought one, he waited way too long for a timeout. I think it was nine, nothing seven. I mean, call one early, just it's the championship. Like, all things go out the window in terms of like what you normally would do. Just blow a timeout because like you said, literally from the first possession, you were like, Oh shit, wait a minute now. Like this doesn't look like Gonzaga. Then turnover, the turnovers were atrocious. I mean, your I mean, boy, your boy. Timmy, I know. It, he was it, bad. It, and that was the other, other thing I was going to say. There's there. And, and we'll talk about before I get like the, if you look at just the box score, there's certain things you can immediately see went wrong for Gonzaga and Baylor exploited. <laughs> Outside of that, the, the thing that is not on the box score that I think we, I want to take a second and talk with you about because I think you pointed out on Twitter is the different ball screen coverages that Gonzaga tried with Drew Timmy. Every single one, he was exposed. Whether they were hedging, whether they were switching, whether they put him in drop coverage, every single scenario, he was exposed, which I think, I, I don't know. I don't know if he's going to come back. I don't know if he's going to leave. And I, I think people are literally saying, how can you go to the NBA now to, and be like a big and not be able to guard perimeter players in some sort of coverage. Yeah, I agree with you, man. I think Timmy um, definitely was exposed. I think a large, which is confusing. I don't know, understand how he wasn't exposed all year, which is a little confusing. Yeah. He looked really bad and forget defensively too. I mean, going back to our originally point of like, he couldn't dribble. I mean, all of his normal moves and like they, he just couldn't get to him. Um, yeah. And I think it, it exposed them a little bit in terms of just the physicality and they were the ball pressure of Baylor was absolutely insane. I mean, yeah. insane. It was one of those games where you, if you were on Gonzaga, you were like, man, it's like you start the first couple of minutes and you, and you whether it's AAU or high school, these guys are in your shit from the yeah. jump. You're like, Oh my God, I, can't, I don't want to play this game. And like yeah. Kispert didn't get going. He missed some open threes early. Um, and then down trouble with um, why am I blanking on this? Oh, Suggs. That was crazy. First of all, Bobarowski, man, how does he have a job? I tweeted this. And, how, and not only have a job, how does he get the premier game of the year? It makes no bro, sense. In any other industry, can you be universally disliked? And forget, no, I, that's not even the right word. In any other industry, can you be universally Everyone agrees that you're bad at what you do and you continue to elevate. I, where else can you do that? I don't get, I don't understand how refs, and I'm saying this, I really mean this. Like, I actually don't understand how refs are great. Like, I don't know how yeah. everyone complains. You know, it's bad when you, yeah, you know, it's bad when you would clearly rather have like Ted Valentine than both. Literally. I mean, that was the worst call on Jalen Suggs. It was so bad to open up the game and to open up the game. Like that's what you're going to do. But anyway, so Gonzaga had a horrible start, right? We, and and I, this is winding it all the way back to where I was going to give credit to Mark Few is at least he's tried different things. He went one, three, one, he went two, three, the two, three zone worked for about four minutes. It did. It slowed them down. But then all of a sudden Baylor made their threes again. So it was I'm like, sorry. I, I don't want to cut you off. It's I just typed in Bo Borowski into Google. And oh, literally yeah. the very, the very first thing that comes up outside of a, a Twitter account where like posting all these videos is a change.org petition or investigate slash consider the removal of Bo Borowski from his position as a big 10 official right now, 3,442 people have signed. There's, let's get to 5,000. And it's, I think it started by Michigan state people. And it's basically, this is actually crazy. And then not to get off sidetrack, but it says, this can be exemplified by looking at Wisconsin basketball's two and eight record with Bo Borowski as an official without him officiating their 14 and three Michigan state is one and five with him as an official and 14 and six without him. And it's like these crazy disparities, not saying that he has it out for Wisconsin or Michigan state, but like the fact that your job, I think the best way to say like have referees done, done a good job is if they're literally, they're just not talked about referees. Don't even, it doesn't even come up as like, on either side if you've done a great job as a referee and officiating isn't brought in but the fact that no matter what the team is that whenever he's officiating it always comes up as a topic i i don't understand then yeah how you keep it's something whether it's tenure it's in whether it's just reputation with internally i don't get it um but it is definitely a massive factor in the game 
A hundred percent, man. I, I, I mean, Twitter took over the, that was all people could talk about for the first 10 minutes of the game is how bad it's like, you're literally going to foul. And then the second foul on Suggs is bad too. So now their best player is out. I mean, that draft, I mean, it changed everything. Changed and everything. Then, yeah. And just from a, and I said, I mentioned obviously Timmy that you can't, you couldn't see on the box score, how they exploit him. The three things, if you look at this box score, I think there's three things that stand out immediately. Um, that I think show exactly kind of tell the story of the game. Baylor 10 of 23 from three Gonzaga. Wait, wait, so, so stop right there. So 10 of 23. So Baylor is a good shooting team. I, I, yeah. I don't know why I said they were shot 43, 43% from three. Okay. Yes. And then, but in, this is what I meant to say in the first half, seven of 12 in the yeah. second half, three of 11. So it's like, yeah. okay, like that's, we, at least it came down a little so yep. credit to Gonzaga, but again, keep going with your thing because I'm sure you're yep. going to get rebounds. I was going to say 10 of 23 for Baylor, 5 of 17 from Gonzaga. And so 5 of 17 shooting 29%. Gonzaga is not that poor of a three-point shooting team, especially no. when Kispert went 2 for 7, Nimhard went 0 for 3, um, Suggs was 2 for 5, like IIE had was 0 for 1. I don't know what their numbers were on the season, but they really like – no one was good there. Um, and then like their best shooter was Suggs at two for five. Um, so the three point differential, I think is massive. You look at, you've got basically five, you've got five more makes, um, just from three automatically off the bat. Second thing I notice, um, is, is going to be offensive rebounds. And this is the most glaring one, 16, 16 offensive rebounds, um, for a 22 defensive, so 38 total rebounds, 16 offensively, compared to 22 total rebounds from Gonzaga and five offensively. So yeah. they created 11 more possession, extra possessions on the offensive glass yeah. than Gonzaga did. And the fact that they had 16 offensive rebounds compared to 22 total, and I want to look. So the difference, really, if you compare deep, so you talk about rebounding percentage of all the missed shots that went up. 17 defensive rebounds for Gonzaga, 16 offensive rebounds for uh, Baylor. So 50, basically it was 50, 50. It was, it was as close to 50 as 50 as you could get. If that shot went up, it was either an extra possession or going the other way, which is an atrocious number. Yep. Uh, I mean, I, I, they just, they, I mean, that's really it. Like if you're looking at the numbers, it's like, all right, they made a bunch of threes in the first and they out rebounded them. Forget, you know, like we mentioned, the ball pressure. There was there was multiple plays too where Baylor had like four or five extra opportunity, like extra hustle plays, saving it out of bounds. Like everything went their way that night. They deserve to win. I think I'm just more disappointed in Gonzaga because they just didn't show up. It's yeah. Like- yep. And and the last thing that go talking about not showing up, the the last component of that, a third stat that I think it stands out is turnovers. Gonzaga having 14 turnovers, Baylor having nine. The thing as well though being eight of those 14 turnovers were just straight up steals from Baylor. That's live ball. Yep. So live ball turn, and that's a big difference too. Like if it's one thing, if it goes out of bounds and it's like reset. It's like they're turning into tra- – and I don't have the exact numbers in terms of transition points. I would love to see that. And then points off turnovers, exactly. But the other thing, too, with those turnover numbers, if you break that down, um, of the turnovers, like for Baylor, it was pretty – like Davion Mitchell had three, but then everything else was like one, 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 some of the other guys. If you look at Gonzaga and you look at their turnovers, Timmy had five. Suggs had three. Uh, Nimhard had two. Um, now Aaron Cook, obviously outside that had had three in only ten yep. minutes. But if you talk about Suggs and Timmy and Nimhard, and you're talking about ten turnovers from probably your most used players and the guys you're trying to get possessions for and get shots, it just it tells it tells a story. You're getting empty possessions out of the ones you're trying to like caused by your your top players. It's it should if you just look at the snapshots like. If Gonzaga was any closer, it would be almost more impressive that Gonzaga stayed that close, playing as poorly as they did. But I think if you look eighty six to seventy, like like, like we said, dude, the fact that they were down ten at the half was like remarkable. They Unbelievable. Made a little late run. I mean, it was remarkable. It sucks. Like we've most we've had some really good championship games recently. You think about Virginia, Texas Tech was incredible overtime game. You think about uh, North Carolina and Villanova. 
probably best one of the best game endings. We've got we've had some of these clunkers. Like I mean, I don't even want to call it a clunker because it was it was very impressive how Baylor looked. It was impressive. It this was not UConn Butler. This was not like ugly, like, like by any means, but it just wasn't like it was, we had hyped it to this because of how great UCLA Gonzaga was. And because we had hyped as this is the game we wanted all year. And they I don't think anyone expected point. it to just not be re, re, honestly relatively like close or competitive throughout. Like it just really wasn't competitive from the jump. Yeah. 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 So, man, I don't what, know. what would you say like, to finish this up? What is Baylor's legacy and what is Gonzaga's legacy from this? I mean, you look back on this season and you're looking or you're looking through history and you're looking, okay, Baylor has a national championship. What's the legacy that you remember from them? I know that's a, it's a good question too, because so many people were talking about after the game that like we, we, we put Gonzaga on this pedestal as the best team ever undefeated. They're going to break Indiana's record 1976. I think that was the year. And, um, so then somebody said, okay, well, if Baylor beats them, what does that make them? What is their legacy? Like, do, are they now the best team ever? And no, they're not. But if you beat who everybody thought was the best, then it's like. Exactly. And the fact you throw in, they could easily, like, they own, their only losses were to Kansas right after the COVID pause at Kansas, one of the toughest places to win. And then Oklahoma State in the tournament, which, like, granted – Gonzaga if Gonzaga plays the exact same schedule as Baylor maybe it's the same thing vice versa so it's it's one of those things where it's like I'm not saying they're best team ever they're not in that conversation but they are I think they can deserve all the credit for an unbelievable tournament run I mean they won every single game except for Arkansas by double digits and they beat Arkansas by nine yep um I mean Scott Drew dude you want to talk about taking over i mean probably, probably the, worst, the worst, worst situation you could ever imagine yeah dude i mean literal murder i mean you took over a program that had murder in it and what i love about this situation is that he it wasn't overnight obviously i mean he had like a five six year ban that he had to deal with and even then there was struggles in years nine, 10, you know, he had struggles over the last 15, 16, 17 years. So good for the administration, good for the school for actually sticking with it. And it's unbelievable to act. Now, look, a lot of coaches say this and not everybody has it, but it's very cool when you look back on the press conference and Scott Drew is sitting there like, we came here to win championship conference championships and we came here to compete for a national championship. And then you fast forward 18 years and it's like, damn, like, Good for you, man. His family was crying afterwards. Like, of course. I think one of the most impressive things about this is like we have in our mind the teams that are like national championship or programs that are national championship caliber programs. Like you don't automatically think as like Texas Tech as being a national or you think of a Baylor as like this is a type of team. But they broke they they broke that mold. Even like Virginia, you didn't think, but at least Virginia was like had a hit has had hit his head final fours in the past. They're part of the ACC. They're a big time state school, like they're the number one team school in their state. Um, but the teams like a Texas Tech or a Baylor, like what Scott Drew, what Chris Beard done, like almost get Texas Tech there. It's so impressive because yeah. if you look at like the last 10 years, it's the UNC's, the Dukes, it's the Yukons, it's the Villanova's. Um, you throw Michigan State, you throw some teams in there that are just like these are your consistent programs that you think of, like there's obviously you have the teams that make final four and they get great rant runs to the final four. Like you can, I think the ones that like, for example, loyal Chicago, or even like South Carolina with Frank Martin, you don't think like they can make that final four run, but you don't think of them as a national championship, actually like contender. Whereas Baylor, like they went all the way. I never would think of Baylor basketball as being like, that's a national championship type program, but no. now they are and they no. will be forever. Then the last thing I'll say on this, which is funny is we, we talk about every single year. And I don't know if you've looked at this, how the stat of it's funny now that we put this in perspective right. the stat that we always pull up is top we say top 20 offense and top 20 defense it has to be and going into the tournament baylor was not one of those teams they were like 60 either i think we said either 61st or 62nd defense this defensively but through their play in the tournament we ended now the season as baylor is the number two offense and the number 22 defense so if we look God, back, so they bucked the trend Somewhat. I don't know. I think, I mean, they're what two spots off. 
Yeah, but still. I think it was top 20, but I, I think even if you, I think you still look at that as top 25 in both, at least to give you a good frame reference. But it is, I think that my biggest point from that being it, it, we can use that as a framework as we should. And I think it showed, yeah. I mean, there were only like five or 16. Like if you look, three of the four teams in the final four, I think were um, like that's, Houston that's was one. how point. I picked my champions, dude. Like, yeah. I and, we, and I still think that's the formula. But yeah. it, I think the biggest thing that I've learned from this is if there's a fringe, if there's a team that's like on the fringe does not mean completely exclude them because, especially especially like them, if they have a top 10 of one offensive defense and then the other one is fringe, they got a shot. They got a shot. Exactly. And you look at like their last and they did, they clamped down. Like obviously the COVID pause hurt them. I mean, they gave up like 89 to West Virginia. They gave up 73 to Texas tech. They gave up 83 to Oklahoma state. They gave up, they didn't agree. But then if you look at how many points they gave up in each tournament game, 55, 63, 51, 72 was the most they gave up. It was to Arkansas, 59 to Houston, and 70 to Gonzaga. So those like six performances jumped them about 40 points or 40 spots in the defensive rankings. Um, So it just barely fell outside, but still it would go back. You have to have that balance. I think Baylor showed that as anybody. I mean, they're scoring over 80 in – the two of their last three games and they're keeping teams basically under 70 and almost all but one. Yeah. Very impressive. All right. Well, I mean, I'm not, not shocking, but not. Yeah. Certainly not. It's not me. like the, it's not like the, it wasn't the, it wasn't, wasn't the upset, upset of like, I wouldn't no. Say, right. Well, maybe it was, it was an upset, but it was also, it was an upset that, that is logical when you think back to it. Yeah. Like not like, Oh my God, I can't believe this happened more of like, Wow, didn't didn't see that coming type of thing, especially like we talked about earlier. Just the just the how it happened, like damn. And I'm trying to think, like, I mean, what really when you think back, like, how many you say upsets have there been in national championships games? Because like Virginia Texas Tech, well, I mean, it was upset. Like Villanova would never pulled any upsets. North Carolina, like, yeah, there hard. haven't been to a point where there's been that much of a disparity. But I mean, there was still what six and a half point spread. I mean, this was probably one of the more um, so I guess you could, I guess most of the upsets I feel like happened like the final four round rather than the championship. Yeah. I was going to say like, it's hard to classify it as an upset because it's by definition, it's the two best teams left. So like one of it, it, I don't know, it, it, you can't really call it an upset, but just a surprise. Uh, breaking news, breaking news. We just got two transfers. One, um, we'll start on the personal side. Virginia's landed ECU transfer Jaden Gardner, um, right. who, which nice pickup for 18.3 points, 8.3 rebounds last year. But then the most interesting one is a transition is, is North Carolina transfer Walker Kessler announces he is transferring to Auburn. Interesting. Which there has been talks recently. There are all these, I don't want to say fake talks, but this is beside the point, but all these people on Twitter reporting quote unquote, uh, if you're watching the video, I'm throwing air quotes reporting that uh, UNC fans are going to get some great news regarding Walker Kessler. Like he was going to come back. There are so many people out there right now that are just throwing, because the transfer portal has gone wild. It's like, oh, throwing this. There, I literally searched uh, Gardner's name right before we came on, and there was some people reporting NC State, some people reporting Virginia, some people reporting Virginia Tech, Walker Kessler. People are saying Gonzaga, no, no chance. Like automatically, people are saying UNC is going to come back. Now he goes to Auburn. We have. Port- we, yeah, we're, we're, we're gonna in a- get into the portal and how insane it is. And we're in a new world. We're in a new, math, new world. The math itself doesn't well, let, yeah, let's we'll come back to the portal. Hey hoop heads, we all hate ankle sprains, and they happen way too often. Ankle injuries are the number one sports-related injury. Arise is trying to change that. With the iFast, your athletes get preventative protection and full mobility. Athletes no longer need to wear bulky braces that limit performance and give mediocre protection. Anyone playing sports should be using these products. Keep your athletes in the game. Don't wait for them to get hurt to take action. Visit www.arise.com, spelled A-R-Y-S-E, and use the code HOOPHEADS to get 20% off the future of performance. That's A-R-Y-S-E.com with promo code HOOPHEADS to get 20% off. Let's talk about another time we, every time we record an episode, a major coach seems to retire or get fired. Uh, This time, Arizona, the players program. 
Um, I, again, like, were you shocked by this? I thought the timing no. was pretty uh, interesting. It just kind of, I, I felt like it just Thank somewhat you. came out of nowhere. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, they haven't played. I mean, because they took a, I guess, so self-imposed ban, or they took their ban this year. Like, they could have easily done this a while back, like right, like during the Pac-12 tournament, or like right when. The one thing I did here is they didn't want to take the focus away from the women's teams run uh, to the championship, which I kind of get um, if, if that moves things like a couple weeks later. Um, but at the same time, also, it's a little weird because now, like the essentially there's not a huge like big name list of people that might take over. So it wasn't like they needed to be in the same mix as, as UNC Indiana, as some of these top tier programs, because it doesn't seem like they're, they're, they're chasing the same type of candidates. Um, so I'm not surprised. I think it needed to be happened. I think it was kind of like, let's rip the bandaid off at this point. I think he had one year left on his deal. So basically, yep. yep. So you either, you either have to let him go or you have to give him, basically like a, a fake extension uh, because he can't recruit. And he'd already, they already, he was having to go the international route and bring in international kids because um, they had been hurt recruiting so much. They weren't getting the five-star top 25 kids like they had been consistently. They're yep. taking transfers like James Akinjo. Um, it had hurt the program. And I think it's probably better for all parties. Like, you know what? This isn't going to be a long-term fit anymore. Let's rip yep. the bandaid off. Let's go in another direction. And, um, I think well, the three, what's, yeah. what's weird is that the AD and just the school in general, like really supported him through the entire process. And, and then until, like, until now, like literally three, all the way through until it, until yeah, the it's like three years ago, that was ripped the bandaid off time. Like now it's like, so I don't get it. And now there's reports coming out that like the AD or the, the school was considering giving him an extension, but the board of regents said no. So it seems like, you know, the back end chess moves, like somebody got checkmated, I guess, for lack of a better yeah. term. You know what yeah. I mean? Like just said, no, we're, we're done with this. Yeah. And it's interesting because the, the names that the three initial names have been thrown out there. And actually I, I listen to Jeff Goodman a lot on this because he is an Arizona guy and I think he's pretty plugged in. Um, it's so the ones that immediately make sense are Damon Stoudemire, um, yeah. who pl obviously played there. Uh, he's been the head coach of Pacific. Very well he's respected. Done a really good job. Like exactly, he's done a good job. It's not just this is not like um, Penny Hardaway at Memphis just because he's Penny Hardaway, or not, not that Penny did that, but or um, or I don't know. You could say not just uh, Chris Mullen getting St. John's because he's Chris. Oh no, no, yeah, like Damon be, has like a record. Damon has a great That's resume. Awesome. He's respected and should be getting bigger jobs. Um, my the one that's Lakers assistant Miles Simon, which I think most people don't know a ton about because the NCAA world or excuse me, the NBA assistant coaching and coaching world is just a lot different than college. Yeah. The NBA guys stay in the in the NBA circles, um, and then Josh Pastner, who obviously is that one was like oh and, okay, and, which I get, but it's so he funny. Start out there like 15, 20 years ago now, right? I mean, what yeah. yeah, I mean he was a yeah, and and the thing that's so interesting to me with Pastner is that it makes sense as a fit for Arizona. And I think it's like, okay, yeah, you know what? That, I get that. But his name, I it would never pull his name up for any other jobs. You know, like I, I would never think of Josh Pastner for Indiana. I would never think of Josh Pastner for Texas. I would never think of Josh Pastner for North Carolina, even close remotely, but Arizona and then the top program because he went there because of the connections, because of that being in the family, it I mean, makes would, like a top logical hire. Would Pastner do well? I mean, no. He probably would do well enough. I think he'd do. I think he'd do pretty well. I don't know if he's like gets him over the hump of what where Sean Miller didn't get them. But I also I, I don't know. Um, the other other one that's really interesting is that, that's like that been the hot hot name um, is the Gonzaga's associate head coach is Tommy Lloyd. Yeah, um, uh, and I believe he is in Arizona. Is he uh, exactly what his connection is? Oh, well, one of the things that Goodman brought up is that there's someone in that's one of the two three most influential boosters like that in the Gonzaga world uh, or family that is hugely tied into the Arizona program as well. So it could be something like that where this guy's been around Gonzaga a lot. He's like this, I like this guy the most, like you want my money here, like make this happen. Um, which I feel like we, what we kind of saw with UNC and Hubert Davis uh, to a degree as well. But um, it'll, it'll be really interesting to see because it's not like, it's not like we're having like the, the conversation it's not like we're, we're having all the top names that you normally see when these big jobs open it's yeah. very different okay so i want to talk i want to come back to hubert's uh, press conference because that was interesting. 
Um, but let's, let's stay on Arizona. So we always talk about expectations, right? And Arizona is one of those like enigmas, like you could easily put Arizona in the top 10 of just historical all-time programs. Is it a best coaching job in the country? You could say it's in the top 10. You could also say it's out of the top 20. You can make an argument for both ways. So can the next coach do this since Miller was there in 09, can the next coach in, so if he was there in 09, yeah, about, about 11, 12 years. Um, can you go to seven NCAA tournaments in 12 years? Can you go to three elite eight appearances in 12 years? And can you win or have a share of five pack 12 regular season titles? Can you do that? Yes, but no, I'm going to throw in a caveat. I think you need a, an, a, if you throw an additional like two years onto there, um, I think there needs to be a buffer with everything that happened with the NCAA investigation to essentially bridge that gap of kind of what they've lost. Yeah. Um, now, and, and also to, to be fair too, the rest of the PAC 12 is probably going to be pretty freaking good next year as well. Um, so it's gonna be hard to just revamp right away. I mean, UCLA is going to be a top five team. Oregon's going to be a top 10 team. Um, you bring a lot back from a lot of these programs. USC is going to be really good again. Um, even Oregon state, Colorado. So, but the one thing I, we, we've talked about these rankings in, um, we talked about these rankings in other conferences of the best jobs and the way the assistants in the PAC 12 ranked Arizona, they number one overall job in the PAC 12, they have is Arizona and yeah. they have it second for history and tradition just behind UCLA first in media exposure, first in game atmosphere, first in budget and resources, second in buy games. The only spot where they're not top two in is recruiting base seventh. But obviously I think being a, a big, uh, a big West coast Nike program, you can get top Nike kids still. And then second facilities and second in selling pros. Like you've got the Richard Jefferson's you've got the Channing fries. You've got the, you've got exactly. And so I personally think it's a top 15 job. Yeah. No argument. It's more about is, are you confident which of those, those candidates are you most confident in to get them there? Um, does Passner make that, does, can Passner help them make that leap? I don't know. I mean, I, I think, I think Damon Stoudemire hat checks off the most boxes. I think, I mean, former player, good coach has experience has done well at a horrible spot. So it's 47. Yep. It's 47. I mean, um, and we're, if we're going this mold, yeah. I, I think he checks off. If there's 10 boxes, he's got to have eight of them. You know, I don't know. What and that's it. And you've got, he was, he was a, he's an NBA. He was, so he was an assistant for the Grizzlies for a couple of years. He was assistant at actually, he was assistant with Passner at Memphis from 11 to 13. Um, he was an Arizona assistant from 13 to 15 with Miller. And then he was at 15 and 16 at Memphis again, which I guess that would have been, would that have been back to Passner still? Yeah. I guess no. Passner came or was that with Penny? 15, yeah, 16. Passner, I think Passner's been there for what? I honestly been Tubby. I don't know. I and mean, then he's been at Pacific since 2016. Um, and so it'll be right now. I mean, he started out slow. He went 11 and 22, 14, 18, 14, 18, 23 and 10 last year. Um, nine and nine this year. Um, so he's 71, 77, but you look at, I mean, he's, he, he's built. So I, I, I think that would probably be my pick as well. Um, yeah. and as long as you surround him with a really good staff, um, yeah. but it will be really interesting to see what exactly happens with, uh, with yeah. let's go to Cincinnati. Um, John Brennan fired two this years one, quick. Th- yeah. This one's a really weird one, man. Like got hired two years ago in 2019 Seven players he recruited have since left the program. Four players who left this year. I mean, that's insane. Um, but last year they were 20 and 10. So it's like he uh, he won in year two. Well, no, literally in year one, he won. He went 20 and 10. Now, Mick Cronin didn't exactly leave. Uh, it wasn't a horrible situation. Yeah. But still, th- this one is very confusing because you read some reports that make it seem like these are like entitled parents and do they wanted like a say in a program, which if that's the, again, like we have no idea, but if that's the case, Oh my God, this is the worst firing ever. But it also, I, then you, you, you dig into it a little bit more and you're like, Ooh, like one, that's a red flag of all those players are transferring like that. That's a ridiculous number. 
And for all of this to continue to come up, for them to do an investigation and then go forward with the firing, there's got to be something there, right? Smoke, if there's smoke. I think, I, exactly. I think probably, in my opinion, this is like complete speculation. Um, I think what potentially could happen, could have happened there um, is maybe they realize, okay, maybe this was a rush time. Maybe this just isn't long-term going to be a fit. And they're using, they use this as a chance is like, let's get out while we're ahead. And it seems like they put this investigation, they're trying to find a way to fire like with cause. Uh, so they didn't have to pay him. Um, I don't think they, I don't know exactly how that, that ended up. Um, but it might've been one of those things where, you know what, they realize a year or two in, maybe this wasn't the best decision. Let's use this chance rather than going down a road of two more years. We know we're going to get to this result. Anyways, the parents are unhappy. We're going to lose all of our kids, no matter what, let's just like start fresh. Um, now, I mean, it was interesting. John Brandt is when, uh, when the job opened, when Mick left, it was like he was kind of the ideal candidate to a degree because he was at NKU. He had a lot of success. He really, I don't even know if he moved, to be honest. Like NKU yeah. is literally just right there, um, probably less 15, 20 minutes away from UC's campus. And it seemed like an automatic hire. Now it's interesting to see where they pivot to. Uh, I've heard some interesting names. I don't know if you, have you looked into some of the potential hires that? No, but I, I do want to bring this up. So Brandon's attorney, uh, is quoted, there's absolutely no basis here for Coach Brandon to be terminated for cause. He said, I've thoroughly reviewed everything that's being investigated by UC's outside counsel. And from what I can tell, it appears that Jeff Long must have given UC's AD a copy of the David Beatty playbook. Then um, on Friday, the same sentence I'm reading from Pat Ford, the Bearcats football coach sent to Brandon on April 3rd, this is bullshit, and the way it's being handled is bullshit as well. Luke Fickle said that. I think that's what it says. On Friday, Mars wow. echoed the same sentence, sending forward a text that Bearcats football coach sent to Brandon on April 3rd. Yeah, man. Unbelievable. So, I don't know, dude. I mean, there. listen, this, this could actually get uglier before anything is resolved because he's going to fight for his money. Yeah, no, you're right. Uh, it's and so it's interesting. So I, I've got two, well, a couple, a couple names we'll throw out there that are interesting. That it's so funny when this happens. All of this, everything is about back in the family or back in the glory days. Two of the names have been thrown out there automatically. One is Darren Savino, who was at with with Mick at UC, or is that Mick? He was an assistant with Mick at UC, and he went with him to UCLA. He's the associate yeah. head coach, I believe. They could bring him back there. Uh, long time. Same thing with uh, with Eric Martin. Played at UC. He's been with Huggins the past 15 seasons at West Virginia. All these different areas. So you go back to the Huggins days. They also the other name is thrown out there is Nick Van Exel. And so you bring someone that's in oh, the family that's wow. been a great player. I don't know exactly. It's like I don't know okay, what Van played in the Final Four in 1992. Um, he let's see where he's been. 13 years. He's been the better part of the past decades. Assistant for the Hawks, the Bucks, and the Grizzlies um and basically say where well, you go the penny hardaway route but then the last two names which i think are most interesting the only the two that are not necessarily part of that um of that family the outside that i think honestly might be really either of them could be good hires i know we spent half poverty part of this episode not trashing him but also saying archie miller sean miller would either though you think either of those work at cincinnati well, listen, man, I don't think I know anything because I thought Archie was going to work at Indiana. So um, here's the thing. I mean, it's, cl- it's as close of a job as you could get, I think, to Dayton. Yeah, for sure. Um, literally, literally like, <laughs> like right there. The, the, they, the, um, I was about to say the ACC. The AAC is not a good conference. And Cincinnati, I think everyone would agree is the best job. I mean, I know Houston had a year, but I still think everyone agrees Cincinnati is the best job in my opinion, it is. Um, so I do think it's like a very coveted job because not only of the success, obviously the history, but like you can win and you can win quick. I mean, look at Brennan. I mean, he came in year one and won 20 games. So, yeah. you know, you have a passionate, you have a passionate fan base. There's no NBA team in Cincinnati. You have a built-in rivalry with Xavier. I was going to say great yeah. program. That's yeah. what would be crazy. If Sean Miller pulled like a Patino and you did the Lua, like the, the Kentucky Louisville and then you do Xavier Cincinnati um, would be pretty incredible. I mean, yeah, it's, 
personally, this is, and this is, I, I want to get your opinion on it. And we talk about how the importance of keeping the family. Like I think UNC probably could have done, gotten a better hire and gotten someone better if they were willing to go out um, than Hubert Davis. Not, not that Hubert's not going to work out, but I think they did limit themselves to like looking in a certain pool of people. Um, and, and you could say the same to Indiana for a degree. They obviously clearly wanted to keep it in the family by bringing in a guy um, that really have no college coaching experience with Cincinnati your in-house or your former guys definitely don't stack up in terms of resume wise as a Sean Miller or even an Archie Miller. No. But is that one, do you consider that a retread hire? I don't personally, I don't, I don't think, think, that. I think they're both still great coaches and they're going to get good jobs. But like, if you hire a guy, like if I'm Cincinnati and like, and you, you have both of those guys that are out there on the market, they're not going to be out there long. And I personally, I think I would go after either one of those. And I think they'd do a great job and kill it at UC. Yeah, I mean, look, I I guess you would say Sean has been more successful than Archie. Would you say that? Sean, yeah, I mean, Sean was a head coach earlier than yeah. Archie. He's like, been he's a head coach longer, so I think he won it, but like he won a lot at Xavier and won a lot at Arizona. Yeah. Archie won a lot at Dayton, did not win that much at Indiana. So yeah, yeah. so I, it's somewhat of a toss up, but like I guess bring them both Sean, in. Bring them both in. Yeah, bring them both in. Right, I think co-head Sean, coaches. Sean Miller on paper is probably the better choice, but you also got to deal with hiring Sean Miller right now, you know, and everything yeah. that comes with that, which is not a yeah. standard hire. So, no, right. and, yeah. It, it, and the last thing we'll say on this, and I'm interested in your, as you're as a Duke guy and a Capel guy and people, I so we, I sent you a tweet. It was like, is with, especially with Sean Miller, or like sitting out there, Pitt guy, like Pittsburgh yeah. through and through. Yep. You know, John Calipari would be pushing as a pick guy, as a close, like we'll be pushing for him. Does Jeff Capel's seat get a little bit hotter now, knowing that if if he's out there and you've got alums that are like, no, like, let's, this isn't working, let's move on? Listen, I don't think it's going to happen this year because, again, just as players get a free pass, I think coaches deserve a pass for this year. It was an absolute disaster. So I don't think you can be. Well, I mean, it's already happening. People are getting fired, but all different circumstances. I don't think Cable gets fired this year. I do think, though, he has to have a 20-win season in the next two. I mean, yes. he's four, he went 14 and 19, 16 and 17, and 10 and 12. Uh, he went 14th, 13th, and 12th in the ACC, 3 and 15, 6 and 14, 6 and 10 in conference. Like, yeah. The allure, the allure of like, hey, this is new. Like, I get he was in an awful spot having to take over for Stallings, and he had to completely rebuild. And he's brought in good recruits. He's missed out on a few guys too. But like, at some point, like year three, year four, it has to change. Now, year four, does it change? Like, maybe. But like, you're still you're in the ACC. You got to be showing some progress. Can he, at some can point. he get some? Can he get some big time transfers? I don't, you know, I don't think there's too many big time recruits that they're really in the mix for, if anybody at this point in time. So yeah, it's gonna be tough for him, man. I don't know. I, um, I don't know. I don't. I don't think he gets fired this year, though. It's just funny. We've gone from like the looming, the names for a while. Like, it, well, it's still. I guess he's still out there. It's like Beeline and you know Thad, or you talk about guys like like Wood. Would Shaka leave for this? Would Brad Stevens come back for that? Now you add both the Millers in that mix. It's really interesting because you have two candidates that have been successful in legit programs um, that are always, until they get a job, are going to be floating out there as potential names yeah. um, for, for a number of different jobs. So. Yep. Um, all right. Well, let's, uh, let's wrap it up with Hubert Davis's press conference. Um, I honestly don't know what he meant. Well, first of all, if you didn't see it, um, Hubert Davis. Went very, I think it's very under the radar, actually. I think like parts yeah. of Twitter, I don't think the mainstream. I think so too. And, and that honestly may have been on purpose. I think some of those guys wanted to stay away from it. And okay. again, he didn't say anything wrong. So I, for me, from my perspective, he didn't say anything wrong. I just don't know what he meant. Yeah. Give an overview for the people that did not hear. Yeah. So essentially he, I don't even know what the question was, but he re is responding to a question clearly about race and its relation with being the head coach at University of North Carolina, because he actually said something that's crazy. He's like only one of like three or four African-American head coaches at Carolina, which is wild to me. But um, so he's talking about that and how, um, you know, proud he is of that and how important that is, which every, of course, but then he says, you know, essentially I'm, I'm very proud to be black but I'm also very proud that my wife is white. And so 
I think why people were confused is because that can get construed in a lot of different ways. And he's like, Mm -hmm. you know, does it mean that you're proud to have a white wife or does that mean you're proud of your wife who is white or, or you, I I don't, it it was just a very weird thing to say. I thought I just didn't think it it really. Yeah. I don't think it, I don't think he executed it the way he meant to. And I do, and I think it's still very like the way he said it. It's still kind of ambiguous in what way you can take it. I think a statement like that, it's tough to for it to end up being ambiguous um, when you're trying to make a point of like, hey, not only I'm 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 super proud to be black, but I'm also the way I kind of took away is like not like everything. It sounds weird, like not everything or everyone in my life, like my kids are half black and half white because I'm married. Like, but I'm also not like ashamed of it, it, it was weird it's just one thing i don't think it was necessary necessary yeah. unless you're putting it into eloquent words that make this basically great statement which once again it, it was just it, it was kind of not, not like anything controversial not no, anything bad or like wrong it was just to me it was just weird yeah i, I don't know and if you're a if i'm a reporter in that situation i don't know if like you even say like you follow up can you like no. uh, expand on that a little bit more no. uh can you it's like the thanks you, next question but, thanks yeah, next question. Like, oh, okay we're well that's not what i expect let's, let's yeah. move on but yeah. i mean it, it's interesting it was it was it's an odd thing and then um hubert davis kicked off the, the the unc um the hubert davis era with his first commit being uh justin mccoy from the university of virginia that's averaged right. three points and three rebounds and i think just put it in this perspective and from you being an, un, an unbiased party, obviously I'm biased from Virginia. If, you, if I told you 10 years ago that um, a player from Virginia would be transferring to North Carolina for more playing time and more opportunity, how backwards of a statement does that sound? It is a, it is a, ba- and, and Carolina would have a longtime TV analyst as a coach. Yeah. And I player, mean, like, I'm not, you know what I mean? But like, that's, that's crazy. Crazy. I, wish, I mean, it, it, it is. And, We'll end on this because, like, the transfer portal, like I said, it's going out of control. Like, Virginia's two kids – well, they have three kids now, I guess, that have all committed. But two of those three went to UNC, and then Casey Morsell went to NC State because they, we've gotten rid of that. They can transfer in conference and go right away. Do you like that? Uh, I Personally, I don't. Like, I, I think – it, like it was interesting. This, like, remember, I mean, Suleiman going to Maryland even was weird. Um, that was bad blood right there. And that was like, and that's one of those things. And that was and, like right after Maryland left, though, because I don't think they had to play. Or did they? I don't I think, think. I think, think they maybe played him in ACC Big Ten Challenge, but they oh. weren't in conference. I believe he did play against them or something maybe. like that. Yeah, um, but it, either way, but it's interesting. It's I mean, and that Walker Kessler was like, or now he's going to Auburn, but it was like rumored like other ACC schools. That just seems weird. I, and I saw a poll they put Virginia fans put out. It was like, will you cheer for these guys? Or like, will you support them? And it was like, yeah, I mean, like, I hope they do well. Because they didn't leave necessarily on like bad terms. Yeah. But it's like, when we play them, like, I'll treat them just as like any other team. It's like, no, nah, like yeah. I, that, that went out the window. Um, so it, it is, we're in an interesting landscape now. Like not only with immediate eligibility, but then these conferences are removing the like transfer within programs. Um, the only thing I think that will keep that, and I would say keep it in check to a degree, is I do think most times, unless there is bad blood between the coaches, those coaches don't necessarily want to step on the toes of those other guys to a degree. Yeah, yeah. Um, I agree. So, yeah. I don't know. We'll see. And the final, this is our my green light player of the week of uh, literally shooting his shot, transferring. This is the perfect way to end it. Green light player of the week um, heading into the 2021-2022 season. Jalen Coleman lands. Um, unbelievable path now. He was a John Gross recruit at Illinois. He played the 15-16 season at Illinois, the 16-17 season at Illinois, 17-18 season redshirted at DePaul for his sit-out year, 18-19 redshirted at DePaul because he only played nine games due to injury, 19-20 played at DePaul, 20-20-2021 played at Iowa State, and now there's is in the – four years. There's his four years. There's his four years. Big track at home. But he gets the extra year because this past four, this fourth year didn't count for anybody. Yep. So he is now in the transfer portal looking for his uh, fourth school, um, which and will play his seventh college basketball season. That is like green light to Nuts. the fullest. That's how you. Like, that's how you. Read no regard. I hope he's got a masters. 
I hope he's got a, a friggin' like a doctorate. They need a doctorate in like psychology or something. Like, oh, I mean, dude. my guy could be halfway through medical school at this point. Like seven years, seven, seven years, seven yeah. years. I mean, that is, uh, you're taking a couple of, you're taking multiple victory laps now. I mean, good for him. Like take advantage of it. It'll be interesting to see where, I don't know how well he did at Iowa state last year. I mean, he was a top like 50 or top hundred recruit. I know, but the guy that came in in 2015, yeah. graduated high school in 2015 and now you're in the year 2000 basically yeah in the year 2022 we'll be finishing his college basketball career wild it's it wild yeah and listen Absolutely. man we all wanted to do victory laps he's just living everybody's dream yeah man he's going illinois DePaul, iowa state i would like to see him kind of like mix it up and get out of like the obviously you want illinois like throw something crazy and they like go like we'll go like um like Pepperdine or something like that. Like go to the beach or go to like, yeah, exactly. uh, yeah like, like enjoy, yeah. and go on Myrtle beach and just kick it. Drop 25 a game in a nice warm weather climate. And you're not right in the middle of America. Like do yep. you, man, do you? Yeah, do you? Well, but, listen, man, we, uh, another season kind of right. Season four maybe wraps up now, or maybe it wraps up in August. We don't really know when our season's end, but we got it's like the PGA tour. Now it's the, it's the, well, the wraparound <laughs> season. It never really ends, but it. Shout out to Matsuyama, man. Good for him. Yep. Awesome stuff. I mean, and we'll have have NBA draft stuff. I'm sure we'll be coming up quick enough. Um, NBA stuff. As these college jobs get hired, we'll have to still record some pods. But it's an event. I'm just happy we got through the season. I'm happy we got through in one piece and we have a a deserving champion, I feel like. So. Yeah. Shout out to Coach Drew. All right. And hopefully hopefully our teams will be a little better next year. Hopefully North Carolina will stay. As, uh, we got through a whole episode without talking about Duke Virginia. We got to stay the course there. I'm not talking about it. We'll, we'll end it on that note. Yeah. All right. We'll see you in a week or two. Keep the ball bouncing. Lately, I've been feeling like this is what I've been working towards. If you ain't trying to be the boss, then tell me what you're working for. Certain doors are closed, but now they opening up. Celebrating with some shots, maybe poke on a cup. Pull, slush, rustles up next, and I got this. Crazy like Britney and the love so toxic. Got a wall up, I'm trying to infiltrate a conscious. Taking 12 shots like where the cops is. Come on.